Hello, Heidi Armanos here, and welcome to Coffee with Evergreen on the Evergreen Exchange. Today, we have Aaron Frischman from Foster Garvey here to talk about the importance of charitable giving. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. All views and opinions expressed by the host and any guests of the podcast are solely the individual's views and do not necessarily reflect the views of Evergreen Golf Cal. Evergreen Golf Cal's clients may hold securities mentioned in this podcast at any given time. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or be considered investment advice. Enjoy the episode. Today, we are lucky enough to have Aaron Frischman, a wonderful estate planning attorney from the firm Foster Garvey with us today to discuss charitable giving. And part of the reason I was really excited to have Aaron on today is he expressed some passion for charitable giving that went beyond the wonderful tax advantages (laughs) of this kind of planning. And whenever we hear passion on a topic and the expertise is there to back it up, it's a perfect candidate for having them on this particular podcast. So, Aaron, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Heidi. Appreciate it. So before we get into the heart of charitable giving, the different tools for giving charitably, the why behind why we give charitable giving, can you just give us a little bit of insight into how you found estate planning as your profession? Well, that's a good question. I actually uh, wasn't sure that this was where I was going to end up. So I've uh, practiced in in a bunch of different locations over my career started in uh, Denver, Colorado, actually, and then went to move back to New York State, where I'm originally from, and then now I'm in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but it was, in a sense, almost by luck. I uh, had found uh, a firm when I was in Denver uh, looking for work back in a number of years ago, and uh, mid-2000s, and just happened to fall into a firm that had this type of work. And um, I was able to kind of be taken under the wing of a couple of really good mentors uh, that were estate planners and kind of helped lead the way. And it became um, a really uh, great area of practice for me. I honestly thought I was going to be doing like commercial litigation or something like that at first, but I quickly uh, fell in love with, you know, the building of relationships with clients and helping them solve different types of problems and, uh, you know, helping them uh, get peace of mind with their wealth and their families. So it was it's been a really rewarding number of years. That's great. I can definitely identify with, you know, really gravitating towards more of the relationship aspect of the work that we get to do as a financial planner, helping my clients solve problems, thinking about their future, helping them live their best lives, finding meaning beyond just the data and the numbers is so much of what drives me as professional as well. So we definitely have that in common. And I don't think it takes too big of a leap to say, is that solving problems, creating relationships, part of what has driven your interest specifically in the charitable side of planning. Yes. So, um, well, let me, as I said, we, we, I've lived, my wife and I've lived in a bunch of different, uh, areas. And whenever we move to a new community, finding out about the community, participating in it in some way, shape or form has been, um, really important to us. And so we always want, and we've seen, uh, 
not only is it personally rewarding, but we've been able to help, you know, build great things in where we live. And, and just being able to see that has kind of been a big driving factor. I've been to a bunch of different seminars over the years, too, listening to uh, different folks, both in the nonprofit and foundation communities, explaining about how important their work is and then uh, on a much larger scale, too, uh, and, and, the va- and seeing the incredible value and in how sometimes it's just something that uh, information that doesn't always get out to clients directly and speaking to other colleagues, too. It's not always something that gets brought up in a conversation, usually clients have some preconceived notion that they're coming in to just get a bunch of documents put together and, you know, a will or a trust or whatever it may be. And then they're going to be on their way rather than really trying to think about other ways that they can uh, live more fruitful lives, even through this process and things that they can do to really kind of make a change. Uh, And I at least want to, I always like sharing with them those opportunities. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think for the vast majority of the clients that I work with, they do give charitably. And it often looks like, you know, tithing with a church or cutting a check to their favorite organization. I talk with them about gifting appreciated stock. We talk about using required minimum distributions to give charitably. And these are all tools to help support the organizations in the community that they're they really find important and you know giving appreciated stock and giving via the required minimum distribution are certainly helpful from a tax perspective but what are some of the other tools that you start to add to the conversation i want to i want to talk more about the tools that are used family involvement and all of that good stuff but let's start with discussing what are some of the tools and when would they typically be appropriate sure so i I never discourage for people who are already giving or want to give to to organizations like you described I, i never discourage discourage that what i um try and do is ask them if they're what their comfort level is with that approach or if they're thinking of doing something more meaningful. And so that also drives what the tools that we want to use. So I always try and have people think about, okay, well, you know, do they want to think about the word, uh, I try to use the term legacy, you know, and, and think about what kind of legacy do they want to leave? And it doesn't have, everyone thinks that it has to be something big and huge and, but leg, a legacy is really just, uh, can be anything that anyone wants it to be. And uh, thinking about it in that way, do they have, however, the concept is a more long-term meaningful impact. And so thinking about it in that way, are there ways that they want to give on a more long-term basis? So I always try and help expand their client's thinking on this, whereas instead of it just being a more of a kind of a checkbook, you know, approach where I just every month or every year, et cetera, just give to an organization, are there other other things that I can utilize? So a very common uh, tool that's used uh, by a lot of families is a, a donor advised fund, for example, which is not really something that lawyers necessarily set up, although we do work with uh, organizations to do this, but there are financial institutions 
that have these funds, um, you know, Schwab, Fidelity, et cetera, holds these funds, as well as community foundations. And that's a really good um, resource as well. And these funds are very flexible because you can donate assets into this fund, but then the organization itself has resources to help guide you based on your passions and what you want to give to. And it doesn't always have to be the same organization every time. And it's a long lasting um, uh, uh, investment uh, that you can uh, help grow through whatever the investment uh, company is that's that's holding it. So that's, that's one tool. There are other tools such as different types of trusts that people might want to consider using. So charitable trusts are also a very impactful tool. They, um, you can have, obviously, some people want to just, in their own planning documents, maybe they want to just set aside some assets to be able to be given to uh, certain charities, and and they and then they can establish a trust that'll just hold that and give it in, in whatever different ways or to whatever different causes that they want. It doesn't have to be a specific charity. I just want to remind people of that that it can be for a cause, and then their trustee or you know or whomever is helping handle those funds can help guide that and find organizations to make that meaningful impact overall. If they have concerns about making sure that they can support family members and and give charitably. Uh, that's where these different trusts, I don't know if people have heard of a charitable uh, remainder trust or a charitable lead trust. A charitable remainder trust is a trust where individuals can set aside funds and then for a period of time or a person's lifetime, they can have assets, income, and other assets potentially be distributed out on a regular basis to specific beneficiaries, family members, for a period of time. And then once those beneficiaries have uh, gone past that that set time frame or they pass away, whatever the terms might be. And there are some specific amounts and percentages, let's just say, that have to get distributed and has to go for a certain period of time. But after that, then you can have uh, charities or charitable causes be the, be the beneficiary of that. Now, the, uh, the charitable lead trust is the opposite, where you can have Charitable donations go through flow through a trust ahead of time, and then afterwards, a remainder amount can go to other beneficiaries, family members, etc. But both of these, all of these things, obviously have, you know, on a financial side, have a lot of tax benefits as well because there it, it provides for uh, deductible um, charitable expenses that if you're facing estate tax issues or things of that nature, you you can. Um, utilize that to help reduce your tax exposure. Even giving, though, during your lifetime in different ways, obviously, I think a lot of folks know that even from an income tax side, there are positive benefits, too, to giving that. Um, What I try and encourage, I always try and talk about that, but what I always try and encourage people is to think about what the meaningful legacy is that they really want to do, because you're going to get those benefits. You're, You're going to get some kind of tax benefits by doing this, but that shouldn't be the driver. So I do want to give folks uh, the range of complexity. So donor advised funds tend to be a pretty simple, straightforward tool. There's not a lot of administration. You're not drafting a bunch of documents. It's pretty simple to open up an account at one of the institutions that you talked about, make your contribution. You can invest within that fund. 
and you know choose your charities and and send basically distributions from that donor advised fund the charitable trusts are considered to be more complex because now we're drafting documents right you have to have a trustee on there there's some administrative rules that are you know required to be followed so can you talk through the situations where you would suggest the more simple form of the donor advice fund compared to the trust. You mentioned before, sometimes it's about, you know, balancing giving to family versus giving straight out to a charity. But could you just give some some situational examples of when you've advised clients to do a donor advice fund versus a trust? Sure. So uh Again, it does go to complexity and how much and how much uh, participation, I should say, uh, and or responsibility clients want to have uh, with this. So, um, again, I think that that's why a lot of people uh, like giving uh, just on a regular basis to different organizations, because, you know, it's obviously doing a good a good job. But at the same time, it's, they know that it's just going to be handled by the organization, their funds. Now, that being said, <clears throat> Um, there's a lot of, uh, so I would say a donor advised fund, it, it, in a sense, it's the same way, but there is more effort that needs to be done than just giving, writing a check. Uh, there is research that's done. It doesn't necessarily have to be done by the donor. Um, that is part of the whole value of having something like that. The you know community foundation or, like I said, financial institution will have individuals that can help uh, provide critical information to the donor so that they can decide what is donated where and um, and in what amounts. And uh, they get more of a participation in that whole selection process. Now, they don't have control over necessarily over the funds and how they're being invested, for example, to grow and things like that. They, they lose that type of control. So if you have more of a private type of trust, such as a charitable trust or something of that nature, then uh, if they're if, if they may set it up during their lifetime, then you know they can serve potentially as a trustee of that trust and help you know control more of that. Um, but if even even then, uh, if they if it's after death, then the trustee will still have you know essentially have that control. But you can help designate certain parameters and certain instructions to a trustee in the trust document. So it is more of a, there is more of a control aspect to that. But when I, I would advise, it really is a case by case situation. You know, I think that people, um, you have to gauge how people feel about this uh, uh, kind of thing, because again, most charitable uh, trusts are done after the person has passed away. So they might feel passionate about, but they may not want, they may have certain ideas and certain uh, charitable inclinations, but they don't, they're okay with those decisions ultimately being made after they passed away, right? And also if they want have other individuals that they want to have on a limited basis be, uh, get benefited by those funds either before or after, you know, then that, that's an important thing to think about to make, to do those types of trusts. Also, you know, you have to be within reason. Like you said, the trust, the trusts like this are more complicated animal, there's more time and effort into the planning of this. It can be more costly, uh, you know, upfront to, to do that type of thing rather than going and setting up just a, a donor advised fund. Some people like to have both, but really the donor advised fund is for during, you know, during your lifetime, something like that, that you want to be able to actively yourself 
have a little bit more flexibility and plan and and you know some kind of plan giving, but it's for a more long term period of time. And it's a valuable tool. That one in particular is because if people want to share that type of um, approach with maybe children and et cetera, and, and, and help them become more charitably kind, it can become a, an entire family effort, you know, to help promote that. Uh, and you can, and you can show them and then children, I've seen other children take over, you know, the, the donor advised funds, after the parents have passed away as well. So it still can be more of a legacy type of approach on that front too. So what I'm hearing is, and I've seen clients do this where, you know, they set up the donor advice fund even during their lifetime, make their donation, but they don't have to donate it all out of the fund right away. It can really continue on. And then you can have your children involved, have them name named and then down the road they could begin to make decisions on where the funds within that donor advice fund go so to your point earlier when you're thinking about a legacy it's not just about the dollars that you're giving it's not just about that tax deduction although that's pretty sweet too it's also about what sort of values are you passing on to your children what sort of impact are you trying to make in the world and really trying to make sure that you're tying in these choices on the tools that you're using based off of passing on those values and really trying to support that impact that you're looking to make. Is that a pretty safe summary? Yeah. And and I should actually, there's one other thing that I forgot to mention, which is, um, you know, you were saying what other circumstances might, might trigger the thought of one over the other. And so another tool, another uh, strategy that's discussed, uh, is with how to be able to leverage uh, retirement funds, for example, when a person's passed away. Because, again, for listeners that that aren't fully aware, you know, a few years ago, there was a new federal act, the SECURE Act, which actually dramatically changed how uh, the inheritance of retirement funds, uh, you know, qualified plans and how they and how they can as far as far as how they can be stretched out over uh, a donee's uh, a beneficiary's lifetime. Right. And, and it used so to be are, that you could stretch it over your entire lifetime. So if you inherited yeah. an IRA, you could take distributions over your lifetime and slowly trickle your way out. And with a secure act, that changed to now when you inherit an IRA, you got 10 years. That's Correct. it. And you've got to take all those funds out within uh, by the 10 year mark. So it's a, a really huge difference from huge. from a distribution perspective. Right. And there, I mean, obviously, spouses uh, spouses can still uh, convert those to spousal IRAs, etc. And there are some other uh, small, ca- few categories of other exempt individuals that can still stretch it out over a period of time longer than ten years. However, you can become really constricted in that time frame, and um, that's not always what individuals want for their children, for example, or, or things of that nature. So uh, there is a strategy, though, that can be used that if a person does want to be charitably, has these this passion and does want to be more charitably inclined to, but also wants to make sure that they can leverage these funds for their children or other family members, there you can like a charitable remainder trust, for example, is one way that you can actually take advantage and kind of get past that 10-year time frame for the for uh, the stretch on on an inherited uh, IRA. So 
you can have you can name the trust you can set up one of these trusts have it named as a beneficiary to your retirement plan and a lot of people have a substantial amount of individuals wealth is within their retirement plan so you can have uh this uh, trust like this established on your death or before and have it named as the beneficiary with the individuals that you would normally want to have as beneficiaries of your um retirement account to be the lifetime beneficiaries. And the beauty of that is that, uh, first of all, if the trust is set up properly and under the right rules, uh, it is the income that's received from the retirement account is is tax exempt until it's distributed out. So, so you can, first of all, save on that when, on distributions to the trust uh, ahead of time because it has charitable uh, remainder uh, organizations or plans, then then it's an exempt the distribution from the retirement account. But and then any distribution out to specific beneficiaries, there there would likely be some income tax issues there. However, if it's for an individual's lifetime, those distributions from the trust can stretch out over their lifetime. So it is one way to get beyond that 10-year um, stretch rule now um, and leverage it. Now, would everything necessarily get distributed out to that to those beneficiaries? No, but you hope that internally within the trust, if you have someone responsible serving as the trustee, they're going to help those grow. They're going to help that grow uh, uh, more and that there could be something close if there's if there's good growth going on inside of the trust. Um, yeah, that's a really good example of it being a win-win, right? Mm -hmm. The charity is going to go ahead and get support. You're also getting tax advantage from, you know, stretching out the, the income tax requirements of distributions on the IRA, getting past that 10-year mark. So I think that that is a really good example of the spirit with which you plan, which is we like win-wins. We, of course, love tax planning. <laughs> we also really love the fact that you're getting to support really important organizations in the community. So, you know, we're, we've been chatting for a while now, and I think that probably the best place to leave it would be, I think for folks who are interested in charitable planning, talk with your financial planner, talk with, you know, someone like Aaron, when you're going through your estate planning process about your desire to give charitably, and of course, you know, we're always happy to bring up these ideas, but it's really important for us to hear from you that you have an interest in giving charitably, that this is something that you would like to learn more about. And then you can probably tell, even with the examples that Aaron's giving, there's so many options available. So, you know, really tailoring it to your situation, what your goals are, would be, you know, the work that Aaron, someone like Aaron would do for you. So, uh, Aaron, any last words for us today? Well, I mean, I would just say I would encourage everyone to at least think about these things and to consider it as part of their planning, both their financial plan, uh, retirement plan, and or uh estate planning. I think that they're really important. Um, it's very important. And there's so much that you can do, uh, like you said, Heidi, that can both have a financial and tax benefit for you, but also can really help you make a meaningful change with other people's lives that, I mean, frankly, uh, there are studies that show that it, it, people who are more charitably inclined 
have better health and it can improve your health personally too. So that's another just added benefit of doing, of thinking about these things and trying to participate in it. So, um, but no, I really want to thank you for having me on. Our pleasure. Thank you again. Evergreen GovCal is a wealth management firm with offices in Bellevue, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and California's Bay Area. We provide investment management, tax compliance, family office, and retirement planning services. Evergreen is accepting applications for new clients who align with our firm's investment and planning approach. If you think you might be a fit with us, follow the link in the show notes to fill out our prospective client compatibility survey.